Welcome to this special episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. Montone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health and host of the show, is also author of the new best-selling book, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. In this episode of the show, Vaughn welcomes some of the nation's leading workforce development experts to discuss which strategies and insights from chapters five and six of the book resonated most with them. Check out their lively discussion about building consortiums to develop meaningful career pathways, redesigning the community college system, new approaches to credentialing, and how to scale up innovations. Joining Vaughn are Chauncey Lennon, Vice President of the Lumina Foundation, Earl Buford, Chief Executive Officer of the Council on Adult Experiential Learning, Rock Fotenhauer, Chair of the Bay Area Community College Consortium, Amrit Alawalia, Editor of Evolution, published by Modern Campus, Jim Caldwell, Chief Executive Officer of Workforce Incubator, Amy Schultz, Dean of Sierra College, and Steve Wright, ICT Statewide Director of the California Community Colleges. And now, here's Vaughn. Fortunately, Workforce Rx has had a good start on Amazon hitting a number of bestseller lists as well as hot new release lists. Some folks ask me, why have I written this book and why this book now? And the answer is the numbers. 8.4 million unemployed and 10 million job openings. The pandemic has really wreaked havoc on our labor market, which already was in turmoil beforehand. You know, workers can't find jobs. Employers can't find workers. Really, we need our nation to have all our engines revving to connect people with the right skills for the right jobs, connecting people with the right skills for the right jobs. And there's no more perfect time to get these workforce development strategies and these proven playbooks out since we do not need to start from scratch and we can be working together in collaborative ways to build upon each other's good works. This is a moment in time when I'll borrow a phrase from my uh, former colleagues where you don't want to post and pray that there's a talent pool on the other end. And so there are many, many strategies that are proven that can be employed in order to ensure that you have the talent pool when you make that job posting. And uh, joining me today are some very distinguished individuals who are longtime colleagues and friends that I will introduce in a second. And what I've asked them to do is start off their comments with a fun icebreaker question, which is what keyword would they use to find this book on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, or, or Google, followed by the answer to this substantive question here, which is what insight story or strategy resonated the most with them and why? What insight, story, or strategy resonated the most with them and why? I'll just uh, do some color commentary on how I met them and began work with each one of these individual. Chauncey Lennon, I actually met him uh, back when he was with J.P. Morgan Chase and led a $350 million investment by his company, which is a really one of the earliest big investment in workforce development by a major corporation. Earl Buford, you're going to hear his name as a brand name in the world of public workforce development because he has come from that system. And Earl is now CEO of KL, which is uh, the Council on Adult Experiential Learning. And this national nonprofit works to improve education to career pathways for adult learners. Rock Fotenhauer has been a steady leader in the California Community Colleges system. Thanks to his advice, the California Community College system has created products like the data tool called LaunchBoard, 
the uh, reporting tool called Nova. There's so many infrastructure that you need to create that enables the education system to do what it wants to do. Amrit hails from Canada, and Amrit is the editor-in-chief of Evolution, the online newspaper developed by Modern Campus to create a conversation hub focused on non-traditional higher education and the transforming of post-secondary marketplace. Then we have Jim Caldwell, Rajinder Gill, and Steve Wright. Uh, one of the key strategies that we employed in the California Community Colleges was to rethink of how we made investments, and we made investments borrowing a concept from the private sector called key talents. And that is because public policy is a crude tool and you need someone on the ground that can adapt those tools for that immediate situation, for the local dynamic, the regional dynamic and the problem at hand that is being solved. And so we sought out uh, creative, ingenious problem solvers who had good people skill to be able to tackle what was needed on the ground and adapt the policy intent to the local needs. And so Jim Caldwell, I, I'm so delighted that uh, we continue to have a long-term uh, friendship and working relationship, Jim, that spanned from PG&E days to the California Community Colleges and now. Rajinder Gill was an entrepreneur who so passionately believed in what is called soft skills, interpersonal skills, 21st century skills, that she was able to scale her work from one college to 10 colleges to 20 to 60 and then 85 plus in terms of adoption. And another individual who was able to scale curriculum adoption at that level of pace, which is extraordinary, is Steve Wright. And he was able to discover uh, in working with Manpower how to do employer-sponsored, employer-endorsed curriculum, which lowered the risk for both students and for colleges. So with that, let me turn it over to Chauncey. Thank you, Vaughn. Um, uh, so excited to be here. Uh, congratulations on this, this really great book. Uh, many pauses about it, but I think the one that comes to mind is it's just, it's just timely. Uh, these issues are always important, but in the wake of COVID, uh, they're even more uh, critical uh, to building back better, as the uh, Biden administration would put it. Um, so uh, your first question, I don't have a, a great answer to that, uh, but I, I wanna avoid using the word workforce. Uh, largely because I feel like that is is kind of our, our insider, uh, a, a kind of version of an insider term that doesn't travel uh, all that well. So I would say, let's call this a, a book that we would describe it as uh, education and training strategies. Uh, but I would say that that's not great either. And really, it's, it's a message to all of us that we've got to find uh, some better words, better language to help explain to a wider audience uh, why investment uh, and better policies around building skills uh, benefits, not just individuals, uh, not just uh, businesses and industries, but really all of us. Um, but let me then get to your second question. So this chapter was uh, really uh, exciting for me as many parts of the book, because in some ways I felt like, oh yeah, I've been in that moment. I've experienced exactly this problem. Uh, and it was great to sort of get your your thoughts, uh, understand how you responded and, and what solutions you built. But in this chapter, you, know, you talk about the challenge of coming up with uh, a so-called soft skill strategy that was beyond just a pilot at one college. Uh, and you know, what really resonated there for me uh, was I feel like we do struggle uh, in the wider conversation about opportunity in this country to understand the critical role of community colleges. And I know this audience uh, may know these numbers, but I want to repeat them just one more time. Uh, you know, we live in a country where uh, there are only about uh, 20,000 people in boot camps. 
there are only about 200,000 people in WIOA-funded adult workforce training programs and only about 500,000 apprenticeships. But there are more than 10 million people at community colleges and more half of them are there specifically looking for uh, the skills that will get them a better job. We forget that we do have uh, a, a large workforce training system. It's got many challenges. There's many things about it that need to be improved. This book can give you a real uh, lesson in what that can look like, uh, but we've got to start from the place of understanding that we do have a system. And if we're trying to have impact at scale, we need to focus on that system. Uh, and so what the story Vaughn tells in this chapter is how instead of just coming up with a pilot, uh, what, what she did was build a consortium, right? And that consortium wasn't just 10 pilots just all mashed together. It was really thinking about how she could use her levers. Uh, some of those around money, uh, some of those around metrics, some of them around data, some of them around creating the kind of new curriculum around a kind of cutting edge innovative approach to um, uh, soft skills training. Uh, and then thinking about how by working with a consortium, uh, she wasn't just, again, creating 10 one-offs, but that was a way to think about how to drive the system uh, and the much larger investment that the system represents into innovation. And I think the last thing I'll say is that, you know, uh, Vaughn uses the term sort of money, metrics, data. That's exactly right. Uh, the way I often think about that is that what, what we need uh, when it comes to helping the community college grow and adapt to the economic realities of the world we live in, is we need to remember that there's sort of three important changes that we should be thinking about. We should think about policies that allow the system to be more agile. And again, the book does a great job of showing uh, what those can look like. Um, we should think about, you know, really sort of wonky, boring things like business process re-engineering. We've got a system, it was designed for different era. We've got to redesign it. Uh, we don't actually allocate much money uh, to, to thinking about how we redesign a better system. Again, Vaughn shows us in the book how she and her role was able to really uh, use the tools she had to drive that, that change. And again, that's the biggest bang for our buck out there. And then of course, uh, you know, better data for management, right? The system can't actually get better unless we understand it and build the kind of data and then use that data to drive change. So again, uh, thrilled to read the book, so excited to be part of this conversation and look forward uh, to the comments of, of, of the other folks here. Thank you, Chauncey, for just reinforcing the need to rethink policies and business processes and data. And it takes all sectors to relook at what they're doing uh, to see what their biases are and whether or not they're getting the desired outcome to create the talent pool. So Earl, we'd love to invite you to share your keyword and then uh, the answer to the question. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I thought I just, I think the entire field thanks you for taking on this work. Um, you know, you know, I've had conversations over the years about all these things, but now to have them, you know, illustrated uh, is, is important. Just really happy to be part of this conversation. So keyword, actually I have two, um, articulation, you know, throughout this book, the theme, this book, especially you talk about eco chambers or as Chauncey said, consortiums is really what's the end game here at, at each approach. I think your uh, your three-legged stool uh, analogy uh, in the earlier chapters really sets up chapter five nicely. You give the basics of what's the best echo chamber ecosystem consortium model. Start with employers. How does the community benefit from that and, and participate in something? And then also who, you know, how the right training providers, education providers really fit into this whole uh, ecosystem. For all those three legs of that stool to work, 
uh, and to start forming, you know, the, the scale approach, you have to have articulation. You, know, you have to go in there knowing that there's something, there's some transaction that will happen and that will benefit. So from the, from the employer standpoint, you know, talent development, talent attraction, talent retention efforts you know, are, are, are spelled out and very clear so that the community knows that if they go take this class or go pursue their baccalaureate or their associate's degree, they know when they're done, their economic goals are met. And that's finding a job and a career pathway that's easy to understand and easy to identify. So that's why articulation is my keyword. And of course, from the training and education provider side to know that we are doing exactly what the employer is looking for and also providing the vehicle for community members to you know, advance and meet their economic goals is really important in that. That be like a stool approach, which sets up you know, the, the forming of this ecosystem. Favorite insight um, from chapter five is really your point about, um, I'll just use a quote I, I, I pulled out. In the nonprofit and public policy world, a program that lacks an intentional strategy, intentional is the key here, strategy to go to scale also misses the opportunity to make a systems level impact. And so I think that statement kind of incorporates what Chauncey mentioned earlier about the, the public policy side of this conversation as well, and, and that articulation I mentioned earlier. So when you are, you know, I call them intentional collisions, when you're intentionally making these things connect and there's articulated purpose here, I think scale has been, has been approachable. I, I came to Kale six months ago because I really wanted to start to think about a larger framework for scale. I've, I've worked in local areas and regional arrangements, but it's really now's the time for this type of approach to if we're going to ever achieve this ever elusive scale. I think the uh, intentionality is very key because this is a long game. Uh, these are, are a complex system that Chauncey has laid out and that you you have lived in. And so we have to stay the course when we want a change to manifest. So thank you, Earl. All right. Uh, next up, Rock. Well, I also had difficulty finding uh, the right word or words uh, that uh, could serve as a tag. And I agree with Chauncey that we, we sort of lack the vocabulary, I think, to uh, communicate uh, these kinds of ideas to the general public. So mine is more of a phrase. It's workforce pathways to prosperity. Um, this book, just as Chauncey said, is so timely. Uh, I felt very timely personally just for me. I've been working in the workforce, uh, uh, community college workforce development space for a long time. And most of the challenges that we face now have been with us for as long as I can remember. Uh, and Vaughn, you made just extraordinarily successful uh, movements in helping our system address these challenges and really reconfiguring how we're resourced in ways that I think will enable us to increasingly move at what you, uh, the phrase that you use in the book that I really like is um, uh, the speed of need. But COVID has just made that need so much more apparent that the chasm separating the populations that we serve and the work that uh, pays livable wages really requires us, I think, to substantially reconfigure how we deliver education. And uh, it requires us to form partnerships with other systems. We can't uh, and, and shouldn't be bridging this chasm alone. All of us, our institutions and certainly the populations we serve will be much better served if we can work together. But making these kinds of changes is hard, of course, and, uh, and it requires conversation. It's not solitary work. Yet COVID's really made those kinds of conversations much more difficult to have. And this book, uh, reading it felt to me like an extended conversation with somebody who's deeply knowledgeable about the kind of work that we're doing. And that's a conversation that I just really needed. Uh, I finished the book last night and I found myself um, really uh, looking at all of the things that I'm doing and thinking, 
what would Vaughn do? Uh, you know, what I got out of this was a mindset that uh, it, it was both the, the uh, playbooks, but the accumulation of those, which I think constitutes sort of a change maker's mindset. And that um, I think is just uh, uh, so valuable to us right now uh, to have a book that really outlines both a set of strategies, but also just a way of thinking about how to approach these. Uh, you know, as usual, I think you've uh, sort of identified what is it that is needed right now and provided it. Uh, and this book really does that. So I, I um, thank you for the book. I've got this phrase stuck in my head now, uh, this acronym WWVD, what would Vaughn do? I love that, Rock. And I love this phrase, change your maker mindset. I, I think you need to write that book, Rock. With that, Rock. let me uh, turn it over to Amrit. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you, Vaughn, uh, so much for inviting me to be part of this event. You know, this, again, is just an incredible piece of work. Uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll join the chorus on that. So in terms of keywords, one thing that kept jumping out at me as I read the chapter was the idea of sort of higher ed for real life or higher ed, like H-I-R-E. It's the idea of how do we connect uh, our post-secondary ecosystem and programming to, to the needs of, of folks on the ground who are looking for pathways into careers. And as an industry, we have really, really struggled to close that gap, arguably since sort of the early 90s, maybe even early into the 80s. It's, it's not an area that, that we're particularly strong in. And it's somewhere where, you know, as I think about the ideas that are being laid out, especially in chapter five, also in chapter six, around connectivity with the labor market, around uh, innovating credentialing types and credentialing approaches, there seems to me to be a pathway toward that kind of re-engineering or reinvention of the post-secondary space through creative credentialing, and importantly, through collaboration between, between I guess, the traditional main campus uh, and continuing or workforce education divisions. Uh, you know, these are divisions that have been pioneering uh, work in, in labor market relevant uh, programming and, and credentials for, for decades. And if we think about the opportunity that, that stands before uh, modern colleges and universities, these divisions provide pathways and playbooks to making that programming truly relevant to workforce outcomes, uh, you know, certainly in terms of, of, of designing assessment mechanisms that are going to support uh, clear competencies and clear, clear communication of skills, uh, but also in terms of having credentials that make sense to folks on the ground uh, in terms of being able to clearly identify skill sets individuals carry. Um, I remember I was having a conversation a little while ago with, with David Scable, who's, who's now the president at Excelsior College, um, and he was pioneering the, the work in competency-based education that was happening in Wisconsin. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, we were talking about soft skills. Soft skills is something that comes up in Chapter 5 as well, that we, we expect, you know, liberal arts credentials especially to, to provide these, these rich soft skills that, you know, individuals should be able to build T-shaped professional careers out of. But because of the way that programming is structured and because of the way that we train educators, what genuinely winds up happening is, is your average liberal arts degree program is workforce training for academics. It's not necessarily focusing on this rich skill set development that's going to allow someone to, to leave the college and be able to articulate their ability to think critically or to communicate effectively or to collaborate across groups. And those are the skills that employers are looking for. And those are the skills that we expect students to have upon completion, but we don't necessarily give them the tools to recognize that they have those skills or to understand how to leverage them. 
So this is where I, I start to look at the role of, of workforce and continuing education as being essential to, to bridging that gap between the work that higher education institutions genuinely are doing, but the outcomes that employers expect folks to have. Uh, your point is well taken, even within the silos of an existing higher education institution, all those walls are blurring much less different tiers of education and the walls between employers and education. So thank you, Amrit. All right, next up, we have Jim. As always, Vaughn, it's just great to be in a conversation with you. There's so many uplifting ideas and uh, such richness uh, to the discussion. So the word that came to mind for me, a key word, was talent pipeline development, which I think has um, a meaning for both education and industry. Industry certainly needs to build talent pipelines somehow, and educators are a primary means for helping do that. In terms of how that applies to this book is, is evident throughout. But the main thing that I saw in many instances in the book was how simple changes can have a big impact for students and for educators and industry alike. And I think just shifting the focus slightly toward talent pipeline development, which is a phrase I've heard you use for what the 12 years I've known you now, and is really, um, really an interesting context within which to view the, the workforce development function. Um, I, I also think that you've done something really amazing here in the book in that you, you talk about ecosystems and the one that I resonated with the most was a employer faculty uh, ecosystem where um, there's a richness of exchange of ideas beyond the normal uh, advisory groups that uh, a lot of faculty have as part of their curriculum. You know, building out to a regional labor market, including multiple colleges on a regional basis, including, you know, the executive level of employers on a regional basis, so that you get a different viewpoint of what the needs are of the industry folks. And, and that then lends itself to, if you can support that over a period of time, build a collaborative that is focused on that. It seems to me like, at least my experience has been, that really pays off. You begin to align your curriculum with the needs of industry. Uh, you began to develop a, a system of stackable credentials along a much broader career map. Uh, for example, a, a matrix of of occupations and you know, progression levels within those occupations. Um, and then the foundational level where you start all that, and then what are the on-ramps and off-ramps into each of those careers. And those are really important concepts for educators and for employers to work together on and to build the talent pipeline that they need. The other piece of it, I think that you've always focused on was scaling. How do you scale? How do you start something simply and effectively uh, create impact, and then how do you scale beyond that? So those are all the things that I took away from, especially chapter six, but they're embedded throughout the book. And I appreciated being a part of the state community college system. You allowed us to do a business development function, in effect, which is creating strategic relationships between employers and educators for the, for the benefit of students and for you know, lifelong learning on their behalf through stackable credentials. So again, thank you for having me. Jim, I just wanted to recognize, I mean, one of your strategies in order to have all the colleges play together, you actually aggregated the trades association so that they could agree on which industry recognized credential the colleges should peg their curriculum towards. So I, I hope uh, people will check out your chapter in the book. Next, we have Rajinder. 
Hi, thank you so much for having us, Vaughn. Um, so when I was thinking about the keywords that I would use to search for this book or um, encourage someone to search for it, obviously from my frame of reference, I definitely look for soft skills, but then also uh, achieving scale. You know, people do talk about scale a lot and you need a guidebook for how you're going to do that. So when I was going through the book and especially with chapters five and six, the things that really struck me, uh, one was when you initially introduced the concept of how important it is to have someone who kind of gives you a chance or believes in you when you have a program that you're interested in starting. And so you certainly did that for um, my mentor, Amy Schultz and I, when we let you know that we were doing this small pilot in a rural area of soft skills. And you gave us the directive to go ahead and say, okay, we'll look at getting 10 colleges together that are willing to do this with you. And the phrase that you use in the book that um, I think a lot of people and I heard on the panels yesterday resonated with was the ecosystem of the willing. And, um, and having that idea of bringing in the 10 partners from the beginning, it really shifts people from thinking about one another in terms of maybe sometimes isolation, which you don't think of when you're in a big system like the California Community Colleges, but oftentimes, you know, we get focused on what we're doing. We're working kind of in a sense of isolation or sometimes even in a sense of competition, depending on how money is funneling, like you, you spoke about earlier. Um, and so that ecosystem of the willing really gives the opportunity to think of one another as collaborators. And um, I think, one of the things that may not be as like immediately apparent in that, but it, we lived it and we saw how true it was, is this just brings in kind of a natural equity check to everything that you do because you have these partners that you're working with and you really encouraged us to think about one another as building this together. So we were building the soft skills program together. And in doing that, you know, if you say you want feedback and you really mean it, then your blind spots go away because you have different individuals who are serving different types of learners. They can say, hey, we've got to think about this background or this demographic. And in the California Community Colleges system, you have learners all the way from, you know, high school students who are taking early college classes to individuals who are sequencing out of incarceration and looking um, at joining the workforce again. So it really is something that not only with soft skills, but with that idea of doing it as a collaborative, um, that is how you achieve scale in that kind of setting. And so um, what I think was really powerful about this method that you, you kind of had all of us uh, kind of pilot in this way was that scale can be achieved in a very grassroots manner. And so it doesn't feel top down. It's not a hierarchy. It's something that's built together. And you have these first adopters who are excited about the content. They're teaching it themselves and then ended up becoming a lot of the individuals who became our trainers later on. So there really is that, you know, kind of final component that I resonated with in, in what you were talking about is that especially when we're focused on skills and those interpersonal skills, the soft skills, it is something that builds people's confidence as well as builds their ability to be employable. So that's all the way from the instructors who are teaching it to the, the students who are going through it. And I think that that's a very powerful approach to take when you're talking about workforce development in general is how does it become a we 
activity rather than a me activity. And, um, and that just naturally builds those ecosystems that you talk about. So I think that it was just a really powerful way of being able to give individuals who read these chapters kind of a step-by-step approach to taking a program to scale. And it works in a system and it works when you are a startup, like we are now with the essential skills program. So really very powerful tool. So thank you. Thank you, Rajinder. And um, for the employers that are on this call, I mean, I think a point or subtext that isn't maybe not clear is that in a normal company, you have a hierarchical organization. Uh, Within academic institution, you have faculty that is the voice of the curriculum. And so if they buy into it and they're wanting to do it, then it goes forth. If they don't want to do it, it doesn't matter what the dean or administrators want. Because of that, it's really important to have, I think what Rock calls like a marketplace where you find who is willing to do, who has the capacity to do, who has the competency to do it. And if, if you as an employer are frustrated, like in the example of, of the welding example, if you're frustrated with your local institution, look around because there are other institutions around that maybe have the interest, uh, the competencies and the capacity at that moment in time. All right, Steve, you are our best for the last. Why, thank you very much. Vaughn, I think the word uh, scalable has come up uh, a lot already. I remember when I first met you, you said, well, Steve, what do you do here? And I said I was doing a a number of seminars on using social media and the internet for small businesses, maybe 12 businesses at a time once a month. And you said, Steve, that does not scale. You need to think system-wide. And I'm like, what? So I think the illustration here is, is how do you take a former market researcher out of a tech company and have them address uh, ICT workflows in the community college system? Because that's basically what you were dealing with is like, who's this guy? To me, because I worked in Verizon and GTE and a number of tech companies, and I'd seen lots of midlife people go through certifications and, and do that, I saw the community college playing an important role in helping that kind of uh, skills acquisition. But to answer the scalability question, it was like, what certifications are relevant to the greatest number of students for the greatest number of job opportunities? And it was a metrics question. And, and really the opposite of that question is, is, the, is the realization that if you didn't get it right, you could achieve scale doing the wrong thing. So, I mean, there's a very important uh, step there where you make sure that you've got it right, which is where we interviewed the placement agencies like Manpower played such an important role. We, I talked to certification market research teams. I joined the IT Certification Council. I paid for a 400 small business survey on needed skills. We did focus groups with industry associations like the Microsoft Channel Partners. And I re- interviewed many corporate hiring executives and they all helped endorse a number of pathways. And then later on, uh, helped hire along those pathways. And, and those, those pathways aligned with industry certifications. And so we turned around then and shared that with the community college system, the faculty and everybody else. And uh, I, I think they, they really liked it. We achieved at one time, 80% of the colleges had courses on the business information worker pathway. The IT technician pathway was a little less because not every college offers that, uh, but they were good. And we, I think for a while we achieve scale, but then it comes to the problem you mentioned about uh, the faculty. There's something in the community college system that resists scale. 
and, and perhaps what we really need to achieve beyond scale is consensus because inevitably what happened to these pathways is you know they got customized for this college or that college so it was all integrated into what they did but the idea of scale is is you know you you wonder I think the enduring concept uh, of the scalability seems to be that all educational platforms inside or outside the community colleges can play part of a, a certification based pathway and, and it's beginning to look like students will be amassing digital credentials with they'll, which they will array on their LinkedIn profile and that uh, replaces the transcript scale is happening uh, the question is, are we ready for it and <laughs> so I think that that's another way to kind of look at the scale question. But I, I love that you surfaced all these issues in the book. It was like memory lane going back and finding out all this stuff. And that in some cases, like, oh, so that's what Vaughn was thinking when she did that. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you took the time and effort to capture all this, Vaughn. Well, thank you uh, for all the work that you've done, Steve. And I love that you laid out how much work you did to do the diligence. And one of the things we found out from colleges as we were doing our transformational policy changes was that colleges felt they didn't have enough resources to do the kind of diligence that you talked about. And so if there were coordinated efforts to do that diligence that could be shared more broadly, they greatly appreciated it because then it was a lighter load on each local college, each local faculty, and lowered the risk of investing in a new program. So with that, we are now going to wrap up our 45 minutes together. We would love, love your help to spread the word. Um, the issues are big, as you saw in the numbers, and we need to get these playbooks and strategies out there. So please pass the word along to your friends and family. Uh, fortunately, Workforce Rx has had a good start on Amazon, hitting a, a number of bestseller lists as well as hot new release lists. So thank you for your help in advance to get the word out. And if you have a chance to pick up the book, please consider writing a review. There's no better gift to an author than to have uh, the book reviewed. And it's super simple. If you just go down to where the stars are, you see a, a place called Writer Customer Review. You hit that, add a headline, uh, one or two sentences, and then press submit. I would so greatly appreciate a review from you as you skim through this book. With that, I would like to once again thank all of my friends and colleagues that came today to join me in this celebratory moment as panelists. And I want to thank uh, all the folks in the audience who were able to join us in this celebration. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. We hope you'll head to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other book retailers to purchase your copy of Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for employers, educators, and workers in unsettled times. Proceeds benefit the nonprofit mission of Futuro Health. And we hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Mm -hmm.